0: All right, Henry, seventy fifth episode, bro. Cheers. Why, why
1: are you so far? Where are you? <laughs>
0: uh, week ten God. quarantine.
1: Week ten quarantine and seventy fifth episode. That's mm-hmm. a milestone, man. That calls for a yeah. celebration. Is yeah. that is that why we're we're drinking some uh, Jameson?
0: I mean, do we really need an excuse?
1: <laughs> well i i guess on your case no but um as a father um of two and being at home you, you kind of do
0: you play that card way too much
1: <laughs> yo that 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 is my like secret card to have but um if you think it's too much then i'm gonna i'm gonna keep it to myself for a bit <laughs> yeah man, cool, man episode
0: yeah um it's been cool to see because know we had to change everything we're doing with the podcast and yeah regular line of business when quarantine hit it's it's been cool that we were able to pivot really quickly and get this virtual setup um we experimented with like the like the instagram uh, instagram live streams and now we're here to zoom but uh do you still remember do you still remember
1: that pivot like from okay uh when COVID-19 was just something that we're, we were here. Like back then, it wasn't even called COVID-19. It was just the coronavirus. We haven't even given it a name. And remember that last uh, film date?
0: Mm-hmm. Remember what happened? Yeah, man, I uh, actually talked about it like three times on, on, on the podcast, like different guests. Cause like, it was such a weird moment. Like the Friday before the lockdown, when, like, everyone in the world was, like, what's going on? What's going on? We, uh, I think you sent, her, you sent her an email to, to the guests we had coming up, right? What was it? March, yeah, so,
1: so, yeah so basically it was, like, okay, we, we have to make sure that um, our crew, you're right, our team feels safe. And also the five guests that comes on our podcast feel safe as well, too. Because, you know, with our team plus the five guests that comes on, it's, like, literally 11, 12 people that we're gonna be interacting with that, you know, that Sunday. So I think we have to make, we, we made that decision, you know, uh, now looking back, it was a great decision because once that email went out and the response that came back, you know, three of the five, one uh, guest, you know, came back from Spain, like not even uh, like a week or like, uh, like eight days, eight, nine days. Um, yeah. Another one, she's like a hyper, uh, growth, uh, entrepreneur in Toronto. And she's like going through all these events. And she's like, you know what? I'm getting like flu like symptoms. And then the third, uh, his wife is a nurse and he's like, you know what? Um, I'm okay. But my wife, she's a nurse and she's getting flu like symptoms. So I think it was like an easy, you know, maybe let's just call it it. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, better not have everybody gather up together. And I think looking back, I think we made the right choice.
0: Absolutely. I think um, we had to do what we had to do, and we made it the right call because the day of, after we canceled it, the day of the actual, the, the, the day we the day we canceled it, was uh, when the lockdown was called in Canada, in Ontario, and pretty much worldwide. So it was a good call on that part. But yeah, man, it's been a roller coaster since, right? Like trying to um, keep the podcast going, keep communicating with people, trying to find out new opportunities, and it's interesting that our sales as a service side picked up. That's really what I want to talk about in this episode. Yes, The fact wow. that our hypothesis kind of got proved through the, through through COVID, right? That, um, that at a certain growth level, like product-led teams uh, need help with sales, right? I mean, for the past year and a half, we talked, like, how many companies that we, like, sent proposals to and talked to about, hey, outsource your sales, you know, uh, bring on senior salespeople that know what they're doing. Let us help build teams for you. And I mean, tech companies back to us were saying, you know, why would I outsource it? I, I barely trust my salespeople, anyways. And now during COVID, we're in a lockdown. Um, the, the, same, the same companies who would not like, let go of their sales process, let, it, let an outsource team come in, were coming back to us saying, hey, we need to help running remotely and operating remotely. And we, we, we talk about this almost every day now about how the change and pivots been towards the future of work. Um, how this accelerated uh, the entire process, COVID, the lockdown has has pretty much, like, in the last three months, about three years with change has happened in certain
1: circumstances. Yes. I remember, like, us talking in, like, in the beginning um, when the quarantine happened, is, like, we would talk, you know, usually, you know, before the quarantine, we see each other every day. We're at the office. We're always talking. So we kind of know exactly what's happening. And when the quarantine happened, you know, we were talking, you know, not as much, it was less, but still very engaging. But each chat that we have, like, let's say even like an hour, two hour, three hours gap, it would feel like it's it's been days because the yeah. amount of information that we're getting from talking to other people, the amount of information that we were starting to see, you know, from the internet, right, on social media is like, things are like slowly coming together and we're just like in the middle trying to dissect everything. Like what is really going on? Right. Remember like when we started doing the the podcast, we're like, Hey, you know what? We're like, the quarantine is not going to stop us. How are we going to do this remotely? And, you know, back when uh, the quarantine happened, like we didn't, we never really toyed with the idea with um, let's, let's do this like a remote uh, podcast. Right? Because we were so keen on the quality, the 4K quality, on a nice setup, uh, great lighting. And to get to a point where like we're recording this, we're like, wow, what a change. But dude, 30 episodes in, mm-hmm. the world has yeah. changed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And um, I mean, talking about that, right? Like, one of the things that really interests me is comparing what's happening right now to, the 1920s, the Spanish influenza and the Great Depression. Right. Uh, we talk about those kind of parallels all the time, right? Like how the Depression era and uh, the, the, in, in this, even the Spanish flu, what, the, what happened in the world, how, what the changes it made kind of sparked a third industrial revolution, right? Where a new way of production, mass production came to be and how that drastically changed the work environment, industrialized nations, and uh, and I set the, pretty much how the world's been for the past century. And now, like, but I feel like, and this is what we talk about obviously a lot, is how the the fourth wave of the revolution has now been sparked and been accelerated through COVID nineteen and kind of like the the shrinking of the economy, right? It's like a slingshot effect. I feel like it's it's breaking down the past barriers, it's breaking down past infrastructure. Exposing the weakness that we have in our infrastructure and how we have set up our society, and it's showing cracks and it's allowing us for to change and to adapt, right? And right,
1: like it's it's, and it's it's like basically a breathing ground for innovation mm-hmm. to happen, right?
0: And the crazy thing is, that it's not even that painful. I mean, we were talking about this earlier today about how, you know, we're talking about like how many millions of jobs have been lost. Like Uber this week let go of what thirty five hundred. Um, employees, 14% of his global workforce, his salary level right. workforce and, and a Zoom call. Just let them go. Just like that. and they, All those jobs evaporated. Andrew Yang came out and said that 15 million jobs have permanently been disappeared from the U.S. economy. So the jobs are never going to come back. And that's just the confirmed ones. right? So we're seeing a wipeout of the economy. The economy shrinking and all this. And yet, we're not feeling any radical changes. There's no food short- shortages. There's no lack of goods being delivered, Amazon is still delivered to the door, there's no riots in the street, right? No one's fighting, you know, there's, there's no police state. there's no military involvement. Everything's pretty civil. And I, I think the question mark is, is that a telling time of our times that being connected with the internet and how society is, is wired in has allowed us to be calm and informed? Or is it that it, we're still in an artificial kind of bubble where we haven't felt the full effects of the lockdown COVID-19 and the drastic change to the economy.
1: No, a thousand percent. And this is like when we, when we start talking about like, you know, with the people that we're talking to, they're basically like too extreme. The ones that are like, you know what? Um, it's the new norm, right? This is the new normal. Uh, things are not gonna go back to the way that it is. And it's gonna be, you know, the new great depression. But then you have the other people who are like, hey, you know what? We're not really feeling the pinch. Um, everything is still uh, the way that it is. Once we open up the economy again, everything is going to be great. But, you know, we were talking about this just, like, earlier today and, like, mm-hmm. uh, last week. Like, what is going on with the stock market, yeah. right? When there's massive layoffs... And there's so much negativity on the news. Like this pandemic has across, right? Not just a country, but the entire globe, right? Many countries, many continents. And um, I think there was like a, a paper that I read on the Financial Time. Um, and it's like the, the Central Bank of the US went from $4 trillion of debt to 6.5 trillion, trillion by mid-April. And they're projecting to be like $9 trillion by the end of this year. And this is them sending a stimulus of almost a $1 million per second into the economy. $1 million. I mean, like, what does that mean? I mean, have, have we lived in, in times that, you know, the, the U.S. government had injected such large amount of money how, into the, do the market?
0: How they're, do you know how they're injecting it? are they doing like direct stock buybacks or like, how are they how, how what's the paper trail there?
1: um i don't know exactly like the mechanism for them to inject the 1 million but they are doing um you know selling their bonds against against uh like private debt right like their own bond their own security against private debt p- private, so and private government's debt. are
0: buying these bonds these private bonds
1: well, no, no, they're issuing their bonds,
0: mm.
1: right, into the market. I, I don't know how, like, uh, you know, I, I've, I haven't been in touch with the stock market, but when I was just, you know, trying to follow, like, why are the stock, like, you know, the SP500, you know, gaining that traction after it dipped mid-March, back to, yeah. like, not near high, like, before quarantine, but, like, fairly close.
0: Yeah, and, like, that's, like, the, the biggest problem the biggest, distru- the biggest problem we have right now is our distrust in the establishment. People don't believe in our infrastructure and the way that we're, we're structured right now that like governments are helping them at the way that they want to. I mean, Canada, we've been blessed here. Like our government is doing actually really well. CERB and money just got to people pretty pretty, good, pretty quickly, right? I mean, there's still a lot of improvements you've made, but Canada has been pretty responsive. Trudeau's done well, Ford has done well. The municipalities have done pretty well, right? Considering, novel this situation is for everybody um, yeah. but you know like w- but especially in the United States when you're talking about the stock buyback right is it I mean how, how prudent is that right like putting money in into publicly traded companies um, and, 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 and like bouncing up the stock market and, and keeping these companies alive it seems so artificial right it I is mean, isn't this a time for radical change? I mean, for for radical change to be approached. I think, all the, I think like radical change is of course disruptive and like there's major risk to it. But imagine if that kind of money can be given directly to the people, right? If you instead of instead of it's that much money, even like a portion of it, like this Trump finally gave, started giving a stimulus package, like uh, stimulus checks, right? From the, from the white house uh, to the, to people like, uh, like kind of like the serve, but I don't know. Like I think this is the like a perfect time for like universal basic income to be tested out. <laughs> it,
1: it's funny you say that because um, I was listening to Joe and uh, Joe Rogan and one of his podcasts, and he was mentioning um, like, I, I didn't see the tweet, but basically uh, Trump tweeted If I'm not your president, do you still want my check? <laughs> like I'm, I'm signing this check on this ubi but i'm, yeah, yeah. I'm not your president do you still want did my <laughs> <It was like,
0: laughs> do you hear that uh trump there's the, a the, 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 the hold off on the checks being printed out and delivered to people because trump insisted that his signature be on each and every one of them yeah,
1: yeah. that's crazy man like i, I heard Bro, that too
0: like as like like stupid as it might seem as like oh you know why would they do it like as a political move, it's actually brilliant. Think about it. Like how many millions of people are gonna get a check written by Donald J. Trump? Like with the signature yeah. on it, saying like here you go, you know, we're gonna take care of you. So I mean, okay. but
1: what was the delay though? Like I that's what I don't understand. Like what was the delay? Like so a like, check.
0: No, he's not, obviously, but like, yeah. I guess he had to get he, he there had to be an approval process or he stopped them from doing that. And made sure that that that, that framework, well, that thing was added to the checks.
1: Wow, I, I didn't know yeah. that. I knew like he signed the checks, like it's his signature. I just didn't know like you know he put a hold on it, like hey, you know what? I want to make sure that it's my signature go on those checks.
0: Like you know how much I love history, and like this thing reminds me of like when um, Augustus Caesar, right, the first Roman emperor, came to power, right? He had no real power. Like Julius Caesar just gave him his, his fortune and, uh, and like, he gave his money. He, he was his uncle, he wasn't a direct relative and he had nothing. But what he did do was he went to all these soldiers who didn't get paid right, by the previous administration uh, that didn't, didn't really like him and paid the salaries that the government didn't pay.
1: Right. That paid the salary, that, okay.
0: He paid the salaries of soldiers that didn't get their due paychecks. From, from and the where did he
1: get all the money?
0: Um, it was from uh, when Julius Caesar got uh, got uh, killed. He, in his will, he left everything, everything he gained, to his nephew, that he barely knew, um, because he had no direct descendants. So this guy, who's super smart, like Caesar, uh, Caesar, Caesar liked him. That's brilliant. He was just, he was just like a bookworm. Like he was like legit, like a like a nerdy like teenager when Caesar met him, but liked his mind so much that. Caesar, who like was one of the most like, notorious generals in history, left his entire fortune to this guy. And when he came of age, the first thing he did after he came from school was pay the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the salaries of soldiers who wouldn't get paid by the government. And he lost a lot of money, but he got undying support mm. of the people. And that's amazing. Right? Like that's the thing that the thing about Trump is that even though he does all these obnoxious things, he knows his base. And imagine the millions of like the poor people, especially in, in Central America, right, who are gonna get these checks from Donald J. Trump. <laughs> it, They're it's, it's it's it. <laughs> a yeah, absolutely. They are gonna be like, yo, you know, like, the, you know, this is like the, this is a leader who took care of us during this time. And it's America. Mm-hmm. They don't have a culture of being taken care of. They don't even have healthcare care being taken care of, right? Like, right. we at least are used to, like, a ninety state with, like, the government, you know, socialized health care, right? Like, more universal support systems. Like, we're used to that. We're used to the idea of taking care of ourselves, our neighbors, right? Like, if you're a Canadian, a Canadian citizen, you're almost like one of one family. We're, we're ready to sacrifice and give part of our income, our uh, taxes to go to take care of everybody else. That makes sense to us. But America, it's, it's, more, it's more independent. And having that culture, right, getting a, literally a stimulus check with the, with, with the name of your president on it. Bro, like, he's almost sure in to get reelected. Hmm.
1: I have to really think about this one. Like, I never really thought of, about it like that. But, I mean, strategically, it makes sense, right?
0: Yeah. As a political right? strategy, I mean, it's genius. Yeah. He, uh, he,
1: Yeah, sorry,
0: go ahead. Yeah, Trump is so good at branding. You know, like, that's what he does. He just puts his name against things and absorbs part of that brand identity onto him.
1: Right, I mean, he's an entertainer, right? (laughs) I mean, why are we talking about Donald J. Trump?
0: Yeah, I mean, with, with Corona and the stimulus package and all that kind of stuff, we're talking about, like, the geopolitics of everything, I think, is worrisome, right? Like, the main thing is that anytime there's been a depression, even a recession, it's almost always been a war, yeah, right Someone somewhere, somewhere sparks something because war pays and allows for like uh, it's a more aggressive control by the ruling powers.' There's a whole bunch of side effects that happen from a war, right and especially when the economy is doing badly that sparks like, that, that sparks people to move forward and um, it like end of the day, like for leaders who are under pressure to like have to move things forward and to keep things flowing. I think, like, what do you think? Like, do you think that it could be a potential for the actual large scale war?
1: Um, Like a large scale war that we know what war is, probably not um, because real war right now isn't really fought with guns and soldiers, you know, Mm -hmm. with tanks or anything like that. Um, And I don't want to speculate, but things are happening and they're happening really fast and we don't really have a lot of information. Um, and, but right now it seems like, you know, we're like where information is so readily, uh, available and accessible. The real Mm -hmm. question is like, how do I know that that information that I'm getting or the data that I'm getting is real is correct.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. With social media, you know, there's such a large influence. Um, everybody connected, you know, everything that you want, you know, it's at the tip of your finger. So, but like, mm-hmm. how do we know, how do we know that the information that we're getting is accurate, right? So even mm-hmm. right now, to be very honest with you, like ever since um, the, the quarantine happened in the beginning, I was watching the news maybe like, you know, the first couple of days at your place, right? Like every time Trudeau came over, I came over, came up and he was like talking about, you know, what's, what's happening with uh, uh, shutdown, lockdowns and things like that. But after that, I'm just like, hey, you know what, like, Maybe I just, I should just turn off the TV and not really, you know, look at the news because every day is the same. It's the same. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. What do you think? Um, I, I I actually have been following news that much. Like I tune in Have, have not. I have not. Yeah, like, exactly. Know, been following too much. Cause like, I do feel like you're going to get lost in like keeping up with everything. Mm-hmm. And I'm weird enough, like I kind of outsource that to Bino, you know, my wife, because like she's really good <laughs> at keeping up with everything and like reading all of multiple sources and like fact checking things. So she gives me like the daily briefing like, of like what's that, what's like anything majors up. Me, I like looking for like more long term, like more long term pattern shifts, right? And things that like fluctuate that you can see how like the economy is moving or politics is moving in certain, for a certain direction or things yeah. are happening. Like I like those directional shifts. And one of the things we of course follow a lot is like the future of work and how this the whole thing is shifting the economy and how people are working, right? So like one of the things like I think about a lot, it's like, you know, like when like Henry Ford came up and like came up with the assembly line, the modern day mm-hmm. assembly line. Uh, he was pretty much getting people to do micro tasks, right? Like micro tasking, like how we, called the gig economy, right? So right. rather than, hey, build out this entire car for stack, you're, be a trained engineer, you trained fully and like, you know, a team of four person, people build one entire car one time. Here's assembly line, you learn this one skill and just do that, you know, dozens of times a day. Just keep build, putting the screw into this socket and move it along, move it along, the assembly line movement, right? So it's atomizing of the previous firm, right? Like, you know, they break down, the processes of uh, what used to happen, and sequence it so that it's it's a hor- like what used to be a vertical play, you know, have to assemble a car from from end to scratch, you know, uh, putting everything together, with you know, team of four or a team of, uh, a small team to be breaking down a horizontal. So one person does multiple cars at, at one level, you know, mm-hmm. you know, in t- in one person, you know, team installs the access, another team installs the doors, another team installs the, installs the lights, right? and so forth and so forth so you get a complete car and put it through that and that's kind of what's happening right now with the workforce as that that's that's what we we we're, we're seeing right like the gig economy is kind of at the forefront of that is breaking down these like high level tasks and making like into like a micro play and what i'm really interested in is like how do we do that for like high level uh, high level jobs high level that require high level skill sets that'll pay a higher level amount. You know, how do we get to the point where we wake up in the morning and like our, our phone will have a bunch of jobs for us that we can decline or take on, but our projects, that will pay for us. You know, like they'll pay for our lifestyle. But like good enough, like a, more than a living wage. You know, how do we, how do we gigify $60,000, $80,000, $100,000 level paying jobs or right. skill sets?
1: Right? right. I mean, like that's the most important like you know like interesting things right like especially when we're talking about a complex problem how do you break it down and atomize it like focus on the person that's good at that skill set with that skill set obviously right and all you have to do is you know do that one task or at least set of tasks and you know that it actually adds on to like a larger um, you know more complex problem that you know other people are coming together to build and solve it's just like you're building a pu- uh, like a puzzle piece right like talking about efficiency i think right now we're like the forefront of it like you know we're more working like before we needed an office because we need to see each other communicate uh go to meetings but right now we're pretty comfortable doing zoom calls right yeah i mean i still like the you know in person face-to-face interaction but when everybody is working from home and they're making it work um, some better than others, especially people with family it's harder, but I mean it's something that over the last ten weeks we have gotten used to right it's almost like validating that idea, and with the tech companies they're saying that like when quarantine is done, when lockdown is 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 you know uh, canceled, you guys still have the choice to work from home
0: yeah what do you think about that like would you continue to work from home? Do you want us to go back to Huddle or another office space? What would you like?
1: Honestly, um, I like the flexibility that I'm I'm not in the office, right? But I, I need a change of environment to be very. Yeah. I'm like kind of cooped in, right? Like, but you know, maybe when summer comes, work outside, work outdoor.
0: Yeah,
1: right. Yeah, I'm looking forward. We were to that. talking about it before uh, uh, COVID nineteen, right? Like during the winter, especially when summer hits, we're gonna work in a park what's stopping yep. us to do so, right? Yep. All we need is our computer, you know, internet connection that we can uh, tether from our phone, uh, our notebook, and, and that's basically it, right?
0: Absolutely. Uh, it's so weird, because now I'm like super conscious of the fact that I'm glowing. I don't know why like Zoom is like picking that up, <laughs> the, the, the white in the <laughs> it's a black background. It's the,
1: it's the white shirt, tab menu.
0: <laughs> tab menu, man.
1: Tab menu, you gotta represent.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had to, I had to represent this on our 75th episode. Shout out yeah. to those guys. Um, I mean, one of the biggest problems, one of the biggest shocks to, for us when COVID and the lockdown hit was Tap Menu, right? Cause like Tap Menu, we've been focusing on for what, the better part of this year. Um, yeah. And, you know, we were ready to put it into market. We just came from the RC show, we got all these POs, we got all this traction to move forward with Tap Menu. And we were super excited for all these partnerships we were signing and, and COVID kind of dried it all up. The entire restaurant industry has been radically shifted. Um, but one of the things that, that I really appreciate working with the TapManyu team is how quickly they've adapted and shifted their technology to help uh, continue servicing the restaurant industry and how the industry has responded back, right? People are now coming and searching for us and finding us and figuring out what, what we can do for them. But man, like one of the things I appreciate is like how much you've been working with the team directly, the QA tester. You're like a born QA tester, right? Picking <laughs> apart things.
1: It's both rich. a blessing and a, and a blessing and a
0: curse. Like when when we first started talking, you start saying like you know how like ineb- like how um, much how little you knew about tech and getting into it. But the weirdest thing is how quickly you stepped into the QA role. Anything. any any client we talk to any software we're looking into any potential thing we're looking cool. You, you're just like breaking them apart and seeing, you know, what are the breaking points? What do they solve? What can they do better? Um, and you're really good at that. How's that, how's the development that skill been?
1: Um, I think that skill I've been developing for like, you know, the better part of my life, because, um, honestly, like you were saying, like tech is a new environment for me, right? Like, you know, Mm uh, Getting into it, understanding it, and I'm not like a big fan of technology. Uh, a couple years ago, if you tell me, "Hey, you know what? Like, there's this new app. There's this new software," I'll be the laggard. I'll be the like the last person to to check it out until you know I have people in my circle that's using it. Somebody telling me, you know, there's actually a use case for it. But the 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 idea of like you know building a business, like QAing, understanding a business model. I mean, those are a set of skills that um you you acquire through experience um i don't know if i mentioned this but uh, i was working at a mechanical and electrical engineering company uh right after graduation like that time i was an engineer right and it's because the feeling that i wasn't an engineer in like you know the imposter syndrome is like whenever you go to meetings it's like i shouldn't be here because all everybody's like architects engineers contractors i have no idea what they're talking about that's what really fueled me for me. Like when I don't understand something, I get very un- un- uncomfortable because I-, I don't think I should even be in the room.
0: Yeah. Y-
1: you know that feeling, right? And that's what really motivated me to be like, Hey, you know what? Um, I need to understand this industry. I need to play a part and I want to provide value. And you know, that's, that's the main motivation.
0: No, that's, that's great, man. Like uh, that's, I really appreciate working with you on that because I don't have the, the, same kind of, the same kind of response. I am continuously put myself in situations where I have no idea what's going on, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I honestly, I, I thrive off it. I love being in a situation where I don't know what's going on and being able to like find nuances or find ways to connect on things I already do know to kind of bridge the gap. It puts me off. So, I mean, it's so interesting, like the similarities that our trajectory of our life had and also like, um, you know, how how similar our thinking would become because me too, I ended up working at an engineering company, like a complete engineering company where literally everyone in the office was an engineer. I was an only non-academically trained engineer, but my product, my my title was um, sales engineer, (laughs) which I found to be so fucking cool right to be called a sales engineer my job was to construct engineer sales channels i didn't even know what that title was until like i got the job and when i was into the job i didn't know that was the title i was going to get but i was trusted in the engineering environment supposed to sell engineering like engineers to facility managers and funny thing is like this is a parallel between me and you right like you went out of your way to learn the specs like when i talk to you you talk about like room plans and like Architectural diagrams, and you and you learn the, the hell out of the industry. Where you can talk to an architect, you could talk to an engineer at their level about, hey, this is what how things happen, right? I spent a year a year in that company, and I had no idea about any of that kind of stuff. But I could speak to it. And I knew enough and, to, and how to talk to people that I could do my job. I could sell it without having to understand what it was, the actual product, how it worked, or like the <laughs> process behind it. Right,
1: because you have a full engineering team behind that that can support you, if they have yeah, any if questions. Needed. But once you're in the PO, then that's golden. Once you make the sales, you're good.
0: Honestly, I never needed to rely on an engineering team to answer engineering questions because I never sold the product. I I sold the person. You know, uh, even when I'm selling to like when I'm selling to like B two B for that for that engineering company. Like I would find a facility manager or a CEO of like an industrial warehouse or like, you know, we're selling, selling commercial and industrial lighting, right? That's what I was hired to do. Pretty, pretty much a CEO, uh, CEO of this engineering company, went to China, got super drunk, and on his credit card, over, ordered like, like half a million dollars worth of like these LED lights. Got, <laughs> you know, he came back, it got shipped to him. Like it was a dumb bet he made. Like on a whim, literally ordered, made a half a million dollar supply, like an order. And then like a month, two months later goes by, he gets the delivery. He's like, oh shit, now I have to actually sell this. So he hires me to come and sell it it for him. So I came in as a liquidator. He's like, you know what, this is what we have, Figure out a way to sell this. And if you can move this, we'll create a department and you can buy and sell whatever the hell you want. And I'm like, this is an amazing opportunity. But... I have no idea how to sell commercial lighting. I don't know how lighting room works. I don't even know how it, like commercial and industrial spaces work. But I, I ended up finding out the people who work in these environments. What was you know the user persona? How do they talk? What kind of words do they use? Where do they congregate? What you know? I became a member of BOMA. Like you know, I became like a member of like BOMA's a Builders and Property Managed Association at Canada level, that's the Ontario level. I went to them, like learned about what they were saying, who they're meeting with, you know, what like all these bigger name property management companies were talking about, and then you the stuff they were talking about and go and sell to medium level players. And I still had no idea what was happening. (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean? I just figured out what their interests were, what the people's motivations were. And that's what I love about sales. I truly love about sales is that if you're good at people, if you understand how people work and, and motivate and how they, how they operate and you can become a person that alleviates problems for them, right, they'll buy whatever you're selling.
1: Right. 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 I mean, we talked about this, right? Like the consumers, like when they're buying something, let's say, you know, you go to a hardware store, you know, ask them like, hey, what are you, what are you really buying? Like that uh, quarter inch drill. It's not really the quarter-inch drill that bu- they're buying. They're paying money to create a quarter-inch hole, right? Yeah. It's like the result. Like, what value can you bring me? Like, let's say if I'm selling something for you. All I need to know yeah. is, is I have a product. Please and go sell this. I don't care how you do it. I just want to get paid for the product that I'm selling, right? So what do you think about, like, the, the new age, like, the future of sales is going to be? Like, how is that going to be we're different, te- especially we're you know, testing after this- quarantine?
0: Yeah, I mean, we're testing this new model, right? How we can pretty much operate a call center virtually, remotely, at like a fraction of the cost that it took, like even just ten years ago. Mm-hmm. And you know, this idea of virtual and remote environments, the decreased cost of not having to have the overhead of, of like housing people, of giving them equipment and, uh, and operating them, just being able to pay the pay the cost of SaaS tools to enable uh, remotely, remote uh, a remote distributed team to work from anywhere. I think it's really interesting because I don't think the future of sales is you put together ten people, twenty people into a room and they brainstorm and hit different different regions. Mm-hmm. I think like if you want to like sell in Washington State or in Colombia or in Spain, you can hire remote salespeople in those regions who are part of that culture, who already have connections to that culture, who may have already sold different things that within that, in that region and almost contract them out, right? and being like, you know, because you don't need them to come to the office. You don't need them, to, you're, you're used to and running remotely and being a distributed team that you can onboard them and, and hire them virtually and remotely across, uh, you know, across the distance. And they can operate in, in, a, in a region and with language understanding that you would never be able to hire for in a traditional environment, right? So I'm really interested in this breakdown of the firm where like people are more transient In a company, right, where you know, just like you know, you nowadays you don't really say hire out a marketing team, a full marketing team in-house. You can contract a marketing team while you're while you're growing up and getting settled situated. You can break apart different parts of your company. You know, IT resources have been a thing, software resources have been a thing, but how do you string together, you know, uh, a company held by different players, you know? Uh, I mean, I think I, early on, we, I talked about Colony.io, one of my favorite decentralization mm-hmm. projects, right? from the blockchain movement. Colony.io was like, how do we get- By like calling.io?
1: Players?
0: Colony, Colony.
1: Oh, Colony, okay. I was thinking, I'm like, what's calling.io? Okay, Colony.
0: All right, so how do you string together, you know, like, you know, all these players in a micro-task level, right? Like atomize the firm. So if a marketing firm, that's just pure marketing, and they can do it at a high level because they have nine or 10 of these clients who pay their bills, and they can just focus just purely on marketing, and they can be the best marketers possible. They're doing that. Well, why does a company need to be a full company and just outsource marketing or outsource part of the thing? Why can't you just be a lean team, you know, building out a product or service, make sure the product or service is really good, and you pretty much contract out the remainder? You know, like how do you string together what is traditionally part of one company in a vertical format into a horizontal format? You know, we're a product company that we build multiple products. You know, we're a sales company that sells multiple sales, that sells multiple things. We're a um, marketing company that, you know, marketing is a market, markets different, different companies and different products, right? So rather than labels or in different brands, you know, the label owner or the brand owner can be, a, can be the end client, but they can, transact through this layer of independent players all strung together to form what was formerly an in-house company.
1: Right. So, I mean, like it's the agency model, right? Like where a lot of these agencies that plays, you know, a skill set. let's say from your HR, there are agencies yeah. that will just take care of your HR. You know, there's agency for marketing that would just take care of your marketing. So you don't need the in-house marketing. I think the real idea here is like, You know, how do we make this cohesive across the board that you built this team out of agency and they're really functioning at its highest and most optimal level where, you know, as a company from the outer side, you're just looking at this like, wow, this is a well-oiled machine. But internally, it's like different companies, which are agency that are running these like different departments. I think that's like the most important, like the interesting thing you know, to, to, to see in the, in the next couple of years, because anybody yeah. that can do that, right. Can really, you know, captivate the entire market. If you think about it, mm-hmm. why do you need real estate to house, you know, your HR team, your sales team, your marketing team, yeah. guys can work remotely. All you, they need is maybe the computer, a cell phone, and that's about it. An internet connection.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And they take care of their own costs. living the cost of operating and where they work out of um it's interesting model right it really brings down the cost of operating so it allows a lot more more, a lot more ideas a lot more testability and less a lot less friction to deploy ideas
1: right exactly yeah i mean that's why jeff basil he made like you know that famous um two pizza two pizza rule so they break down their team into very small team where if they need to stay late, you can feed them with two pizza and that's a nimble and that's a great team.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. With two pizza roll. <laughs> two pizza roll.
1: <laughs> that's, that's just
0: us. <laughs> yeah. One pizza each. But uh, talking about that, man, like, what do you think is gonna happen after quarantine? Like, do you think things are gonna go back to normal? We talked about behavior. You know, like it takes what? Six weeks to form and build a habit? People have gotten used to being afraid of people and large groups yes. and going out and doing regular things, right? Like, what do you think is a I mean, the long term effect on behavior? I
1: don't know. To be very honest with you, like subconsciously, I was downtown, um, you know, last week, and I was just in a residential neighborhood. Uh, a lady was coming towards me. I didn't really think. I just walked down the road to avoid her and then she kind of avoided me and we just went off with her with her you know our business it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know it's it's gonna be weird man like um you're going out you're seeing your neighbor but like you're keeping the two meter distance it's like because I don't know where you've been and you don't know where I've been right like I mean we're yeah. young and strong but I mean everybody has uh or you know people that are vulnerable around them in their lives and you never know I don't know. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a real hard question to answer.
0: Absolutely. What do you like, do? um, no, absolutely. Like, you, you know, I mean, I just moved into a new home like a week before quarantine hit. I just met my neighbors, like two of my neighbors, uh, oh, both that, of them from both sides. You no. Know, so I met the one on one side, like, the other side and the guy next to him, right there, were, uh, we had some good weather on the weekend. Everybody in the neighborhood came out in the backyards. We don't have fences in the backyard yet. A brand new house and um, we're all looking around each other and talking and we're all kind of meeting each other like, hey, it's waving and stuff. But like nobody's approaching each other, you know? There's no handshakes, there's no exchange or anything. Everyone's kind of stay in this thing apart like at least like a good like 10 feet. Everyone's in their own yard, right? They're trying mm-hmm. to talk and communicate. And the, strange, the strangest of it all didn't even hit. We just, everyone just kind of like, yeah, is this is the new normal.
1: Yeah, okay. but okay. Let me ask you: If somebody were to approach you, right, and tr- try to shake your hand, as they come towards you, like, what would you do? Would you just back would, away, or like, hey?
0: I no. would probably, I would probably back away. You wouldn't. I wouldn't. You? I don't know.
1: I, I, I would now, a hundred percent. But I mean, like, there, I've seen people that are still very close to you know everybody that's around them. I've seen handshake. So yes. it's like, I
0: think the I think if I if I saw somebody that I know and they shook my hand, want to shake my hand, I wouldn't be able to walk away. You know, I would naturally go for it, and I wouldn't find it too hard, because it's it's super rude if someone you know. Like comes to comes to shake your hand or something, you can't just be like this, right?
1: I mean, that's a, that's a good point. I don't know, I don't know. So it's like like business like business or interactions now. How, how, what do you think that's going to be like? Like, even if you're, you're meeting with a client, let's say, for example, are you going to be you know, in a room and are, are you this. going to be distance?
0: I think it's going to yeah, be no. this, man. I don't think anyone's going That's to be meeting much in person anymore. I mean, meeting. this is so easy. Like, how many people have we ha- had a ta- chance with, to talk with? How many video conferences have we had? Like, everyone's down for a video call. Everyone's down to have their camera on and just, and just, and just talk to people, right, face-to-face through this. They're more available because, you know, we're not trying to use them face-to-face. The time slots, they're, you know, they're booked in. And they're, since we're booked in, they're down to to communicate more, like at a deeper level. Like people are more accessible like this. So I wouldn't actually want to go to a physical, like a face-to-face sales meeting. You know, maybe unless you're closing a deal or else, you know, like, you know, unless like it's, it's a very like significant milestone, or like you know, I have a good deal, right? Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, I think the cost of like trying to meet is it, too high. I think it's changed now radically, because people it's such a wide scale a network of people have gotten used to this. That trying to go back that old curve is as expensive. As a Yeah, it's true. I
1: mean, like, if you're using technology, like you know, Zoom calls, conference calls, uh, virtual calls. Maybe you can do six to eight a day, whereas like in person, you can only do two because they're traveling, you know, not to mention the traffic going to, you know, Toronto within Toronto. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, but I I just don't know like, you know, how it's going to be like, you know, when the lockdown is canceled and quarantine is gone, Mm -hmm. right? Meeting is just going to be, hey, make an appointment and it's just going to be a Zoom or a Google chat. I, think I mean, like, would, so is, would it be awkward to, to ask to meet in person now?
0: I think so. I mean, I think you're going to be asking a lot of somebody <laughs> to be like, you know, take time out of my day to meet you at this one physical location or come to someone's office. If, if we go to someone's, of course, we want thing, but it's also the idea of a stranger coming and meeting you now. Or like, you know, an unnecessary contact. You're also, like, like you said, Weighing in the idea of like somebody coming in into contact with you. You know, if we're, I think we're, uh, that, uh, that ROI is being constantly played out with people moving forward. It's like, is this only worth me, you know, risking a meeting, you know? There's only so much risk I could take in a day. Going, going to the grocery <laughs> store, going so to so many places, is that, is that now a risk now, right? Because it's, it's a risk of uh, contagion, not just for me, me, but also like people who are vulnerable around to me that like people are going to start thinking it's like, Hey, you know, like this, it's not really worth it. Like why don't we just have a zoom call? Like this is frictionless. We can get everything done. I can see you face to face. I can see who you are. Right. Why would we need to meet face to face to face, unless it's a significant thing unless you would have a previous relationship or you uh, are closing zoom significant. Right.
1: Yeah, no, that you're, you're hundred percent right on that. So that's why I feel like, you know, like moving forward, Things like restaurant tech, you know, social tech, even health tech, right? Is going to be the future. Like look at, you know, during COVID-19 with the lockdown, you know, telemedicine has blown up like massively. For example, one of our clients, like AgiCare, they provide a virtual care platform where I think is going to be the future. Like why would you need to go to, you know, meet a health provider when you can do it over a video chat.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we're super excited to be working with Adricare. Um, We still haven't technically announced it on social media or anywhere. So if we haven't, by the time this comes out, this is our announcement, we're now working with Adricare. (laughs) This this is the official (laughs) launch. This is the official launch. But uh, yeah, it's been super rewarding, right? Like like our focus on Medicare technologies is such a, a weird, like, uh, uh, like opportunity for us, it's a weird pivot because up there before COVID-19, we had so many healthcare tech companies we were in contact with but didn't touch them as a potential client because ha- like MedTech sales is such a long, well, it was such a long like sales cycle previous to COVID-19. COVID-19 has completely radically transformed the entire industry, opened up uh, rapid modernization and rapid, rapid adoption of new tools into an archaic, and assist into an industry full of archaic old tools and processes. You know, just like e-commerce has experienced three month, uh, three years with a growth in three year, three months, like virtual care, uh, virtual care, medical, medical technologies has experienced the same kind of things where things are moving a lot faster. Right, There's, we're literally seeing turn on times of cust of customers and clients um, closing deals within days. Yeah. Especially before, like enterprise the
1: client where it normally takes like, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks of approval of proposal. Now you see a close within a week to two weeks time, right? Yeah, unheard of, yeah. unheard of. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I think right now it's, it's a perfect time to kind of, I mean, that was already the future, but that like COVID-19 just was a catalyst of that. Right. Because we already know with technology, you, you can be so much more efficient and you can uh, do so much more, right? Yeah. So with the, let's say with, with AgiCare is like, if you want to see a healthcare provider, your physician, you know, any, any type of like health provider, you can, you can make an appointment. That's going to be like, you know, 30 minutes where before you would have to travel, sit in the waiting room, see get the appointment through and half of the year is already gone Mm -hmm. right now maybe it's like literally 30 minutes when you're up you wait in the waiting room for a couple minutes before your provider comes on you know do the uh consultation or the assessment and you're off with their day
0: yeah i mean what we're what i'm really interested in seeing is is a radical change in the industry of, of how we how we treat healthcare. Right now, like healthcare is seen as, you know, it's something that's re- very reactive. Something happens to you and then you get medicine. You know, something happens to you, then you get some kind of, uh, some kind of treatment, mm-hmm. right? It's always been reactive. Very reactive. Very yeah. little like, little proactive movement. And what, what technology it really allows is now the proactive treatment of ailments, right? Through an, data analysis, and just uh, access yeah like, i mean wherever you, like
1: you you can like you know an apple watch three four five hundred bucks and it gives you all the data that you need about yourself
0: yeah but now like what we're, we're like really interesting is like sharing that with the healthcare professional or getting very high level um like results back right like already, Apple Watches can predict strokes and heart attacks 15 minutes before they can happen. Right? You know, mm-hmm. so they claim. And you know, what happens when uh, what happens when that gets paired? It like gets even better. With analytics readings get better. They you understand your baselines. They you understand what um, you know the deviances from normal looks like, and shares that with a healthcare professional or a healthcare network. that can better uh, treat you or give you feedback systems on what's working, with what's not working for you. You know, like what happens when, like you know, you have holistic understanding from a dietitian about what your diet is. You know, from your eye doctor about what your eye, how your eyes look like. Uh, you know, with, with your fingertips being able to touch point and get, like you know, from a sleep doctor what my sleep looks like. You know, you have these devices that can collect all these analytics tools from you, sending it out to professionals who now cost a fraction of the cost. You know, I mean, look at the cost healthcare providers used to have. They used to have a clinic that they had to physically have to pay for the real estate for. Have an admin staff to run that clinic. And generally maybe three or four doctors might might operate on that, right? And even yeah, for like I mean, psychiatrists. Tons of overhead. Yeah. Psychiatrists have the same thing. Midwives are the same thing. There's so much overhead cost with physical locations. And one of the things we're seeing that care in the, aftercare and the virtual care space is now the launch of like virtual care like clinics, virtual platforms, right? Where someone can be literally sitting at home, like the doctor, the pro- or the professional, and the doctor the midwife, the psychiatrist, a counselor, right? They can be sitting at home, a, dietit- a dietitian, and have conversations like this with you over a secure platform, and be able to provide you with constant feedback and tools. But how do we add another layer of that? You know, a, a layer where like the data that's already been collected by devices device gets shared with them in real time. So they're not just like, oh, doctor, I feel bad. You know, look, uh, you know, uh, this is how I feel. and The doctor's like, oh, what are your symptoms? You know, what is temperature, asking you and trying to diagnose you. No, you're getting, you know, imagine the healthcare as a SaaS model, right? You mm-hmm. know, as, as a service model where you're paying monthly or it's part of a monthly touch point you have where all your data gets shipped out to a bunch of uh, specialists or a bunch of, bunch of treatments or one, or, or, or one clinic or something that, you, that you're part of, right? That gives you a more holistic feedback on, 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 on your health. You know, like what's the baseline for, you know, you know back issues? What's your, what's your baseline in your heart rate? What's your diet's been? Uh, how's your sleep patterns been? And it gives you direct re- feedback, right? I mean, I think that is the future that we're moving into. It's more personalized, customized products and services. And for sure, this, uh, the ability of working in these fictional environments are going to allow to do that. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, like, that's what I hope to go, that the healthcare industry is moving towards.
1: No, I totally agree with you. Right. Like, you know, with, with the amount of data that we can collect and we can display it to a dashboard, right. that gives you like a, like a physical, you know, uh, a snapshot of how you're doing. Okay. You're not feeling well, no problem. Let's check like what's been happening to your body for the last 15 days, for the last 30 days. Right. Mm -hmm. For us, if a doctor asks you like, you know, when did you start feeling this pain? You know what? My best guess is two days ago, but maybe the symptom already started like, you know, a week ago and you just didn't feel it or you just didn't, you know, you weren't aware of it. But with data that's tracking with through wearables, all that data is being stored. It could be analyzed and you, it could predict patterns. I think you're right. That's going to be the future. And that's going to, uh, you know, greatly, um, you know, uh, solve a lot of issues that we're facing with healthcare right now.
0: Yeah. So we, we went I think way over the hour.
1: Oh have we going. already?
0: Yeah, we, we I think we have. I think we're about an hour in, more than an hour in. Um you wanna keep going? Or you wanna call this?
1: Let's do it.
0: Good. Let's just keep going. I like this. I'm gonna get a refill. Give me a sec.
1: <laughs> That's why you gotta put the bottle next to you.
0: Yeah, man, I didn't want to because uh just as reason. But how's the uh, May 2 4 weekend COVID version been for you, man?
1: Um, you know what? I was up in Bob Cajun uh, doing a bit of work, but overall it's, it's nice. I think I heard some fireworks earlier.
0: Yeah, that's uh, strange, right? Like I heard a few fireworks, but during this time, Victoria Day, long weekend, May 2 4 weekend, there be fireworks everywhere. Right? right? You would hear, you would hear the, the hell out of it. It'd be annoying, actually, because, like, people be putting on fireworks all the time.
1: Yeah, I'm just wondering if, like, they're, they're, they're going to be uh, police going to where people are, you know, doing the fireworks and giving them a ticket.
0: It's probably in their backyards, <laughs> you know, people just launching one or two.
1: <laughs> oh, no, yesterday when I was driving back to the city, I, I saw, like, a full-blown, like, fireworks show um, as I was passing Pickering on
0: 401. Jeez. Yeah, man. Someone private, someone, someone. Really like somebody with money. (laughs) Yeah, that's
1: basically what you're doing. Burning money.
0: Yeah, man. But honestly, this made me realize like how much I miss like cottage. I miss How much I miss scenery. Like, you know, getting out of the scenery, like we've been stuck in the same kind of 4 walled environment for the last 10 weeks. We've been blessed because we're busy. There's a lot of people are sitting around just trying to figure out what to do or waiting around to see what's going to happen. We've been blessed because we we're busy or moving forward and like we lose track of things, but there are obviously times when you look around, you're like, damn man, like you know, you've been in the same grind, you're un- it's hard to stay inspired when you're in the same kind of environments. And I that's what we we're really realizing during this lockdown. How are you doing when it comes to that and the burnout aspect of just being in the same space, the same kind of mind state?
1: Um, you know what? One thing is we've been uh bless. Um we you know we have a couple clients. Um uh we did a pivot with uh tab menu so even though we were catering to like a dine-in experience now we're actually helping restaurant you know get on their feet by um opening up a technology and offering you know our tech so basically a digital menu be embedded on their website um so uh customers can go on their website order from the menu uh for takeout or for their in-house delivery. Because the leverage fees from like Uber, uh, DoorDash, it's like 20 to 30%, right? Mm -hmm. Of a very slim margin from a restaurant. So um, they're not already not doing well, plus another 20 to 30%, that's extremely bad for them. So we're like, hey, you know what? Our technology is very uh, scalable, right? It's very digital, it's very lightweight in the sense that we can open it up and afford, like. it implemented on your own website you host it but customers can come in they can make the order and i want it delivered or i want to pick it up and you do it and you that you do that yourself right uh we have that we have adju and it's 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 been blessed that we've been busy and i try to you know change it up uh working from you know inside my office sometime you know outside when the weather is nice but i have two kids right? The hardest thing is trying to get work in while they're sleeping or while they're playing, but I have to allocate time with them as well too. So they've been keeping me busy and you've been keeping me sane. So I think it's, (laughs) it's been a balance. It's nice.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things I (laughs) am secretly super happy about from after hearing with you is not having to deal with kids during the time uh, when there's no babysitting and there's no school to uh, drop them off for. How is How's being surrounded by your kids all the time been? Like, I know it's been like a, a blessing in disguise because you can spend more time with them. But at the same time, like as a parent, you need break, man.
1: Honestly, um, it's been tough. It's been tough trying to work. Uh, and especially when there's, you know, just so much things. It's like, if you feel like for me, if I miss a quarter of the day, half the day, it feels like I've missed a week because there's so mm-hmm. much thing going on. But, um, uh, my wife Sharon, I mean, she's great. Like she's so good with the kids that, um, they don't demand a lot of my time. Um, so I can like focus on my work. Right. And I have like scheduled like time blocks throughout the day that I spend time Mm -hmm. with them. (laughs) Right. But I, you know, honestly, um, I, I, one of the, the greatest thing about, um, the silver lining with the quarantine is when we have conference call meetings like this, you know, when we're talking about kids, everybody's going through the same issue, right? This is what makes us human before it was like, you know, you're meeting somebody new, you go to their office, you shake their hand, you talk about business, maybe catching a a small talk uh, in between, but that's it. That's Mm -hmm. it. Right. You don't really get to connect like who's across the table from you. But what I have realized, you know, through all this, and especially having kids, is we have common issues. And a lot of the times we talk about the same thing. And I was talking to a client, like, you know, several weeks ago, and she has two girls. And her girls are, like, uh, 12 and 10, something, you know, around that age. And we started talking, and she heard her girls, uh, you know, very loudly on on the second floor playing. And she's like, oh, yeah, it's fine. I'm like, you, are you sure you might want to, you know, take a look at what's going on she's like no no they're fine two minutes in she's like henry i'm sorry but i'm gonna i'm gonna have to put a pause because i think one of the girls is gonna kill the other one i'm like go right ahead right please i have two kids too i fully understand and then after that conversation literally we had like a sidebar like 20 minutes just talk about parenting like you know what are how you how are you dealing with it what are you doing right so i think that's great it's great that we're sharing these kind of like Very human uh, conversation and discussions.
0: Yeah, I think you got that. There were like these kind of mo, like having to converse like this. Like we hear about like the Zoom fatigue and like the you know the the inhuman element of not being able to meet people to you know in, in face to face and read their body movements. But it's kind of melting people's barriers, right? Like when you are meeting someone professionally versus personally. Like you put up a different kind of persona, the way you carry yourself, how you communicate, the words you use. But since we're in these environments where you know, especially as a parent, you know you're, you're basically taking care of your kids, you're home, you're also cooking for your spouse, and you're taking care of a bunch of other things during the day. Work work and life is integrated rather than balanced. You're kind of forced to show these, uh, share these kind of moments, and that breaks down those barriers you put up. Mm-hmm. I think we have uh, like, experiences a lot, talking to a lot of clients. Like, It's much easier to, ha- to form a more personal relationship, to have a more understanding of like, the other person through these like, video calls and through this time because we're all united by this, by this shared alien, ex- alien experience.
1: <laughs> yeah. We have one common enemy, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, you're 100% right. Yeah. And like the, the the relationship that you make, it's much more meaningful. I feel like, right. Like, you don't know how many times where I end a calls, like from talking to, you know, somebody, either a client or just anybody that like a stranger. And it ended with like, Hey, you know, when this is done, let's grab a drink together. Yeah. Right. Before, like before COVID-19, like you can get that. Right. But sometimes it will take a little bit more effort to get that out of someone. Now it's like, you know you have a call, you talk about business, and then you talk about like hey, you know how you're dealing with uh the quarantine right now, and you get into a whole midst of it. I was talking to uh, a potential a potential client and we ended up talking about meditation she's like mm-hmm. i'm a I was, I'm a yoga instructor and been teaching meditation for fifteen years, and then we started talking for like another half an hour past our you know uh a uh, uh, time block for talking about new business
0: yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting the way we're connecting and changing, right? Like, but I mean, during this time, uh, what are you doing to like keep learning on your toes? Like let's treat this like a time capsule, right? Like five years from now, 10 years back from now, we look back at this and try to think about our mind state. What are you, what channels are you using to learn right now? Are you reading, podcasting, audio books, right? YouTube, doing courses. What, What are you, what are you doing right now?
1: Um, I'm very happy to say that I'm a Harvard, <laughs> I'm in, uh, enrolled in Harvard courses. <laughs> I have to, man. So it's, it's funny because um, before COVID-19, like, you know me, I, I really like, you know, structures, planning, schedules, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I, every day I, I wake up, I do um, journaling, right? I write about uh, 20 minutes to 25 minutes of journaling. Um, I give myself a, a quote that you know anchors me throughout the day. Whatever inspirational quotes from anywhere, right? That just anchors me. Like you know, this this is what it's about. And um, I read about. Have you heard of um, uh, it's, it, it's a Chinese thing? It's uh, it's called the Way, right? Wow, they're, yeah, they're, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Right. It, it's it's a book that talks about like you know, there's like. 80-something chapters, I think 90 chapters. And it just snippets of, like, you know, what is the flow state? Like, what is the way? Like, what, if, what is things that should be, right? A very meditative, very, you know, peaceful mindset. So I've been trying to work on that.
0: Yo, that's that sounds super interesting. Uh, I'd love to know more.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'll send you the link. Um, uh, so basically, it was back in, you know, uh, ancient China where uh there is a scholar that wrote this like you know that scrolls these books with different chapters of like you know what 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 life should be right like it's called the way and with these chapters uh uh the person that that translated this into english it has the direct translation and has commentary so it gives you like you know what is written in chinese translated in english and he gives us commentary like you know, how I feel about this and, you know, what it really means to me. So I think it's a, it's a great thing. It's a great way to learn. Yeah. Yeah. How about yourself? Have you been reading?
0: Yeah. I've been trying so hard to get into reading. Like I, I, I love, I like reading, right? Like I enjoy it, but like getting into mind state of like putting away time to sit down and read is so hard with so many things happening right now. So I've really been playing a lot on like podcasts and audiobooks. Well, not mm-hmm. on audiobooks audio much, I'm like more on podcasts. podcast. I'm really enjoying that medium of being like information coming through. Cause I like background noise anyways. There's very rarely a time in my day where I'm not listening to something, you know, like I, I just, like when you're walking around the house, when you walking around, I just have something playing on my, whether my earphones or on the phone, you know? So, I just did this on 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 um, Maria uh, Maria Wells podcast, right? The oh, yeah. Young Millennials podcast. She asked me, she's like, "Yo, what's your top five podcasts?" And without like a, like I was surprised myself, like without like missing a beat, I knew exactly what to say. You know, top five podcasts: Joe rog- Rogan, um, the AI podcast with Lex Friedman, um, Jacko Wilkins, uh, the podcast because he's just a, just on being a he's a beast. Badass beast right yeah um 4am ritual absolutely right those are the main three podcasts but also you know how i built this guy raz right That's that i guess i jump back onto it right now it's so good and the fourth the fifth one would be is there a podcast kings and generals on uh, youtube oh yeah the youtube yeah i've been so obsessed with that you know i've been, I've been sending you links right on like how they use game mechanics to not, like, like from like actual like games to show history, right? Like, like in depth battle, history, historical battles to like how lands were conquered and kingdoms and empires were made. It's so I, I love studying that a lot because there's repetitive pattern patterns in history, right? Like the way humans form uh, form groups, like there are patterns that emerge within within that. And if you can see patterns emerging and ebbing, like I feel like you can make predictive plays for the future.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, pattern re- uh, history repeats itself, right?
0: Yeah. So let's, let's end off on this note, right? Like 10 years from now, right? What would you like to be doing? What, what, what is the future you want to be seeing? Oh,
1: 10 years from now, what would the future i like to be seeing? That's a tough one, man. And I I say that it's it's tough because things are changing so rapidly and every day is different. But I think it's going to be more um, technology augmentation, right? Uh, Technology playing a large part of integrating with our everyday lives, more so now. Um, and the, like some of the key things that we talked about, right. you know, social tech is going to be huge. The way we conduct ourselves, the way that we do business is going to change completely. And like, Mm -hmm. I'm not even talking about like 10 years, like even a year from now, a couple months from now, it's already happening. It's already changing. COVID-19 was just a catalyst, right? If you have asked me like, you know, if COVID-19 wasn't in, in the picture and you have asked me that question, I can tell you like, that was it. But maybe that's shortened that life cycle like to a year, two years, right? Um, health tech is going to be, the landscape of health tech is going to be completely different. Um, food tech, again, we already talked about with Tap menu, is going to be hugely different than what we used to see now. Um, but it's just technology will play,
0: you know, such an immense part in our life. How about you, 10 years from now? Yes, yeah, so I you. As you know, my studio is in my living room, and when people come come home, they literally walk through the studio.
1: Work-life the integration,
0: work-life integration. But um, yeah, like like there's two tr- trends that I've been following, right? That I feel like are going to be hitting in the next decade. Um, the first trend is gonna like I think it's gonna it's gonna hit in the next four to five years, is biotechnology, right? CRISPR is something I've been following a lot. CRISPR is like a super cheap way of manipulating genes and genetic modifications. Like right now in 2020, it costs less than, for less than $200, you can buy a CRISPR kit at at home, do genetic manipulation. Wow. Okay. Less than 200 bucks. Less than $200, you can get a kit, a starter kit, and start getting into the basics of like genetic manipulation. Right. Um, if you really want to, you can, you can grab like more, um, like more lab equipment and literally out of your house, start doing genetic engineering. Like it's a pretty crazy environment, but the cost of magnetic inflation in the next four years, you know, you know fall in Moore's law, you know, the, uh, how, how things, how things uh, become cheaper over time, <laughs> the, the cost is going to go down to like, you know, $75, $50, forty dollars for for a kit to get started into this like it's gonna it's gonna become pennies eventually to do like high level uh laboratory kind of work especially in genomics and bioengineering so i feel like so there's a big movement towards like bioengineering and biotechnology is becoming like a new industry just like software and technology has become like a technology industry so the ability to manipulate, yeah, infra, like, just like the ability to you know, inf- make, uh, manipulate information through the internet, exist. I think the the transhuman movement, the ability to manipulate your own genes, the ability to like, for to pay to have upgrades for yourself, for your pets, for your children is going to become a thing. The ability to get like superfoods that, that are going to have super nutrients for you is going to become a thing. Like. I feel like that's a new industry. gonna It's gonna It's gonna It's gonna well up in the next four or five years.
1: So you're just gonna pop a pill and you have everything that you need.
0: Well, not a pill, but like <laughs> you know what I mean. Like this, it, it, like, I'm not sure exactly what the biomedical industry is gonna look like, but it's gonna become a thing just because of the 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 cost for production is gonna go down, and so that's there, right? Like. But like again, we don't know if that what's going to happen even if the cost reduction goes down. Look at like VR and AR. Mm-hmm. This is the seventh time VR AR as an industry has bounced up in an upwards trend, right? Mm-hmm. Seventh time in about in about 50 60 years. Like in the 70s, there was a time where people were selling, like you know, having a desktop PC strapped to your back with these huge goggles that like showed like. Like big like shapes uh, on the goggles, all, like nothing like hide aspect right now. and saying this is the future of computing. This is Wait, VR what?
1: <laughs> strapped in yeah, the back. Man. Like these are these guys are wheeling really, like a 60 like pound forty commitment. pound,
0: fifty pound system they're wearing <laughs> as a backpack with a VR goggles, saying this is the future. And that's awesome. This, in the '70s, they were trying to sell this as like a a, a consumer good. Yeah. So VR, and AR, like now that's been like the biggest flop, right, of, of, of the past few years is like, oh, it's going to be an industry, you know, how many people really have Nautilus? Mm-hmm. How many people really have a Samsung VR? Right, very few. And even then, it's like very basic games are evolving there. So, uh, like, yeah, as the kinds of scale can happen, as technology gets cheaper and things like that, new uh, industries do kind of boom, but not necessarily pa- jump the shark and, like, get somewhere where they can become, like, a... Uh, a viable commodity. Right. So I'm interested in seeing what happens in biotechnology, especially as, you know, research, the ability to research and make improvements gets cheaper and seeing if the the industry that was promised actually booms out of it. Interesting. Yeah. But on top of that, for sure, the next decade is going to begin the space race. <laughs> right, like we're we're talking about this 20, on. 2030. Like, 2030 uh like Canada is lo- looking to open up space, uh, like, like space mining. India actually has uh, uh, this week made announcements where they're doing a public uh, private investments into the privatization of space uh, exploration. They're already started. Wait, Maybe this time, India. India is starting a private enterprise into space, um, especially now that they've they launched uh, their own rockets and they, they have like their own lunar rockets that have launched out. Um, you know, their space industry, their space industry, become, their space industry is becoming more emboldened and they're looking to expand that. You know, China is trying to go to the dark side of the moon, right? America and their sphere of influence is, is commercializing. Russia is losing a lot of money to SpaceX and all these private industries from, from uh, commercial and uh, government uh, uh, resources being shifted away from you know, their, their, their space industry. They're the, they the top in the world. If you wanna go into space to refill um, you know, um, ISS or anything like that, you pay. Russia was a go-to place through Pakistan and all these places, right, using this Russian space agency. But now, nation states are building up private agencies Who's gonna now take us to the stars, right? So that's gonna be really interesting. Because the final frontier is gonna become a frontier in our lifetime.
1: Yeah, when when you showed me that, you know, that article and that website, I was just at awe because you know, space exploration did not even cross my mind one bit. Like how much is it to like send like a group of let's say four people into space right now currently? Is there a number?
0: Yes, Are we in the, the average, of- average trip the average trip to space right now costs about sixty three million dollars, right? Like a man's man space, and that's just to get to the ISS. That's like high Earth orbit. It's not even like like leaving that uh, leaving Earth gravity well, right? So. Getting to the moon will be astronomical costs right at this point, mostly because of uh, how the space industry and aer- aeronautics industry works, right? This, the cost is, is so high. Um, and even then, like, I think the cost per kilogram is about $4,300 per kilogram to send something to space. So again, like, so like for now, like
1: a decade from now, like 2030, they're expecting the the cost to come like way down where it's actually viable because I know SpaceX, right? Like Elon Musk, he's like, well, we're spending the, the like we're sending the rockets and we have this huge piece of the rocket that gets detached from the main part, right? And it, you know, traditionally it, it, it's it's garbage. He's like, how do yeah. we reuse this, right? With SpaceX. So he's actually reduced the cost of space. Exploration or like sending rockets under space, you know, tremendously. So, that cost is going to come down in the next decade,
0: yeah. So, like, I, what I'm seeing, what I'm thinking is that there's gonna be a lot of infrastructure going to be built out. Um, so, SpaceX, what they're trying to do is bring down the cost for pr- cost of production, cost for production, and the unit economics to go to space, right? Mm-hmm. Their main value metric is how do you bring down the cost per kilogram being sent to space? So, the average, uh, average mission, whether it be commercial or a man mission or whatever uh, becomes cheap as possible. We're trying to bring the cost of that down. Blue Horizon, Jeff Bezos, they're trying to build infrastructure. How do we send stuff, not even into space, but high orbit, right? They mm. want to create the postal service of space, right? Virgin Galactic, the postal to service Yeah, that's exact words from Jeff Bezos, right? So, and then there's um, Virgin Galactic, right? From, uh, from, Gla- from uh, Virgin Group, um, Richard Branson. They're trying to get space tourism, how to get people excited about space, just going up there and spending money towards it. So he's trying to get people to spend money for thrills, for entertainment, to go to space or near space orbit, um, to get money to, again, increase the cost for, uh, decrease the cost for production, when bring down uh, the unit economics, by bringing more money into the industry. So there's three realms right now, currently being vested in, invested into, but there's a whole, that, and that's the most public ones, right? There's a whole bunch of non-public ventures that back in. You now how to provide food at a better rate in space. How to, um, you know, shift things around it better in space. You know, the, the better alloys and better materials to use for space, and uh, you know, so less less wear and tear goes happens. What about fueling stations? But, yeah, so I think the biggest thing is going to be these fueling stations, right? When they right. have just like, there's gonna they're gonna separate the different the, the different trajectories, so. What, they need a spaceport in space, right? Mm. So one stage is getting to this high earth orbit. It could be the ISS or it could be a, a, private, a private enterprise, but somebody having like a high altitude spaceport. So you, the, the first cost is going up to there. Once you're there, it becomes cheaper to like transition to like uh, into actual space. Right. So I think what's going to happen is like the infrastructure is going to be built first. And whoever builds and owns infrastructure, it's gonna be very lucrative because that's gonna be the basis point for all future uh, travel outwards, right? And we know there's billions of miner- dollars worth of minerals out there. I
1: thought right? we're in the trillions. <laughs> in the big T. Trillions. Yeah, it's it's,
0: it's pro- yeah. If you look at the, the the solar system in general, right? I mean, it's a final frontier for for a reason. Once we get into the uh, into the solar system, like it's gonna be um, like the, the amount of resources we're gonna have access to is you know multiples uh, multiples more than that's been on Earth, right? Like there's one asteroid up there that has more gold on it than that's ever been mined out of the Earth. You know, what how does that change us? What does that what do, that do to our economies? What does that do to to pricing? If you know a, a private enterprise lands on, like a, on a on a rock that has more precious metals than ever been mined out of earth, plants a flag and says, this is ours. We have all future mineral rights. And then their stock starts reflecting that and shoots up and they become a multi trillion dollar company. Mm -hmm. Now, what does that do for our ecosystem? What does that do to our economy? What does that do to how we conduct business, right? Like when um, there was a, um, it wasn't Mike Pence, it was, it was like a um senator in the united states when they when the senate united states senate signed a law for uh to allow for more private enterprise to go into space he's like the final the final word to the senate house by the by the the senator i think who wrote who said it was um the first trillionaire is going to be made in space like trillionaire, not as much as a trillion dollar company. The right. first person is going to have a, be worth over a trillion dollars.
1: Is Personal net place. worth.
0: Personal net worth. Like, what <laughs> does that do to inequality? You know, what does that do to the, you know, like the ability, like, the, you know, the, 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 the economy between the, the rich and the haves and the have-nots.
1: Right. So they're not going to be the top 1%. They're going to be the top 0.001%.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I don't know. That's very interesting. But, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to keep my eyes uh, open for space exploration. I think is very interesting. And if it's possible for space explorations in the next decade, in our lifetime, we're in the 40s, I think we should do it.
0: Yeah. I mean, not exploration, but definitely as a private enterprise, right? Like, what I think about is like, like, it being like, like the merchants who invested in like, uh, in like East British a, a trading company or like the, like the, um, the Netherlands, like the Dutch East India trading company. Right. These were like, these companies were funded by private investors. Like mm-hmm. the first corporations came to be the Dutch East India trading company was the first corporation ever made. Right. And it was worth in nowadays money. I think it was worth what four trillion dollars at its at its peak, right? Like we think about, like we think about Amazon, we think about, uh, we think about, um, we think about Jeff Bezos, Amazon. We think about uh, Facebook. We think about Apple and Google, these trillion-dollar companies. But all four of them, like the first corporation, the East, East Entertainment Company, was worth more than all four of them combined, right? So when when corporations were first developed, it, what they did was diversify risk, right? So, what I'm interested in is, as the space race happens and the potential to 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 get revenue, the potential to get profits is there. Can there be a new type of way to organize people and to diversify risk? Come up, you know, like a true decentralized movement, where because it's going to require a lot of capital to run a proper space mining operation. Where can that capital, capital come from? You know, how would the new ways of technology and structuring people together and the capital flows where it's more robotic and more AI operated capital flows are running at that time. How can they be structured together to fluctuate capital towards these enterprises? You know? Right, would I there think be that's a time be where,
1: key. would there be a time where all the nations you know, come together and form one entity, you know, from earth, setting this entity up and mine the mineral in space?
0: I don't think so. I think it's gonna be a a colonial nightmare. I think it's gonna be like countries and spheres of influence, um, you know, using their private enterprises as instruments to colonize space. It's gonna be a land grab. You know, it's going to be a gold rush slash land grab because literally the international treaty as it is right now is whoever can land on a place and stake a claim can make the mineral wealth theirs. Mm-hmm. Right. So just like back in the days, like European call this, you know, land in a space, plant a flag. This is, this is Spain. This is France. This is Netherlands. They split up the world, you know, just like that kind of idea, wherever, India's companies goes and plant a flags like this is India's. This is you know Tata mining companies. <laughs> you know, uh, you know. Tata's all over the world. Yeah, absolutely. Why not? Right? Like, you know, this is this is Tata Tata Group's come, uh, rock, and like you know, like they, they end up claiming like a cluster to themselves. And next door is like China's mining company comes in and stakes a claim. And there's going to be points where they, rub, they, they rub, You know, there's, there's mineral claims that's going to be, you know, contested. And that's going to be the next friction point for geopolitics, right? Just like oil exploration, where companies fight over, you know, oil fields and who has rights to it. Mm -hmm. Space is a no man's land. It really is, (laughs) right? So I think that's going to be super interesting, and it's very interesting to watch it develop. But anyways, let's. are you looking forward to like post covid 19 mean, you know what does that look like too
1: you know what i think we're going to have more to talk about in the next 25th episode this is the 75th and we're going to chat more in the 100th episode to see what has passed
0: honestly like we're going to hit that 100 in the next uh, 3 months easily yeah. <laughs> easily <laughs> easily the way, way we're going forward. yeah definitely but Henry, man this has been great i think this is the time to call it all right man Cheers, Ravi. Cheers, buddy. To space. To space. And Blue And tap menu. And Blue <laughs> And tap menu. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, whoever's watching, thanks for watching. Our 75th episode feels great. It's been a blessing. To 100 more. To thousand more.
1: <laughs> and, a, and a thousand more after that. Cheers.
0: Cheers, man. See you, guys.